We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights. We have a power. And we've raised a spoiled brat representative government that needs to be taken to the woodshed. Are you satisfied with the government that owns you? There are churches who refuse to allow us to use their facilities to teach. Unspoken or even sometimes spoken rule that religion and politics don't mix. You wouldn't dare speak out against the government or somehow resist. Christians have to be involved in politics. God commands it. Every turn of event through history hinged. One person will stand up upon a single person. And then everybody else will stand. A gym member surrounded by a crowd of supporters was placed in handcuffs. A Tampa Bay pastor has been arrested. Sentenced to a week in she jail. She also and tore up a cease and desist letter. We have a posterity waiting for us to say, we will not comply so you will be free. We have a chance to fight without bloodshed. But every time we comply, we establish a future where our children will not have that option. Why do we sit down when all should be standing? And why do we back down at the grid? Welcome, patriots. Rise and shine. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Show. This is not Chris Ann Hall. This is J.C. Hall filling in. Uh, this will be our Ukraine update. Uh, since I saw you all last, <clears throat> apparently World War III has started. So I uh, just want to give you a little update of that stuff. Probably people have been glued to the news um, and maybe, who knows, maybe some people don't care. But apparently it's the big, it's the big thing. Uh, I don't know if COVID, COVID's done, maybe. And now it's uh, now it's on to war with uh, Russia and, and Ukraine. So I don't know. It's weird how these things happen. It's like <clears throat> before COVID, I think it was global terrorism. Uh, and then somebody turned that switch off and turned on the COVID switch. And now the COVID switch is getting turned off and it's uh, Cold War 2.0 or something like that. Not not quite certain what's happening there but it is uh it's always very interesting and the scripts get replayed and rebooted not too much new um so if you if you know history you can kind of follow along uh, because most things just get recycled so here we go again but um just want to share a few updates don't know how much people have been paying attention but got a few videos um on the stuff going on in Ukraine. Russia's made its move across the border in multiple locations, invaded. And uh, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure, uh, I wasn't 100% that Putin was gonna go ahead and invade because I thought maybe his show of force would 
cause NATO, Biden and the rest to, to actually maybe give in, maybe bend and, and give in to some of their um, demands or concerns about the security of Russia's borders and NATO encroachment, that sort of thing. I, I thought maybe that was still a possibility so that so therefore um, Putin was using that as leverage to get to get that to happen and move it along. But I think we got to the point where Putin basically decided that's not going to that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Um, they're not going to change. They're not going to they're not going to answer our demands or come our way at all. Um, so then he invaded. So here we are. <clears throat> so a couple videos hit me with the first one there. Christian. So videos coming out, raw footage of all kind of stuff going on as a result of invasion, troops being all over the country there, house, houses on fire. Um, I, I believe that's, that's um, not too far. That's a town just south of, uh, south uh, east of the capital of Kiev, the burning houses there. So that's, that's um, oh no, that's out, of, that's out of the Donbass region. So that's uh, Donetsk. Luhansk area. That's the Donbass region, uh, which fighting there has been going on for eight years. And that's what it looks like. That's what that area looks like after last night. Next, apparently people are trying to flee, get out of Ukraine. Although I heard there was a restriction put on, I think, males 18 to 60 saying that you couldn't leave the country, I guess, because they want them to stay there to be able to fight Russian soldiers, Russian hardened Russian soldiers, although some of them are like kids, but uh, there's also Muslim Chechen pro-Russian bands that are, you know, hardened fighters. So they want regular citizens. They pass out a bunch of rifles that Ukrainians have never touched or never held before. And so everybody's celebrating that uh, Second Amendment, rah, rah. And so they handed out all the all these rifles and, and expect the citizens um, to fight these hardened Russian soldiers, which I, I mean, what else, what other options do you have? But that sounds like a losing proposition for, to me. So you have these people fleeing and apparently the opening fire, some of these soldiers opening fire on civilians in their cars. You can hear in that video, I don't know if we have the, if, if the sound, and Christian, you turn the sound on, but you can hear apparently a kid uh, in the back seat, crying, screaming. It sounded like he was shot. I don't But uh, not good. Not good. So this kind of thing, war in the midst of you know, towns and cities and civilians all around. It's never a good thing. Never a good thing. It doesn't matter what even the leaders Get on the floor. Get on the floor. Just a little farther. So that's happening. Never good. And it doesn't matter what, you know, the leaders say, the generals say, you know, we're, we're going to do this. It's defensive. We're protecting civilians were only hitting military targets. I mean, you get 100,000 soldiers out in the field. You know, you know what's going to happen. Those kind of things happen. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what, what the best of intentions are. War is hell. Uh, next, this one's been going around. This is one of the first ones I saw from over there. 
I think this house is close to an airport. So right off the bat, Russian troops moved in and targeted all the airports that the military, the Ukrainian military would be able to use. And this, this house is apparently close to an airport and looks like one of the buildings on their property right next to their property catches a missile from a fighter jet. So again, you can hear the kids scream uh, in this video, people freaking out. But you'd freak out too with a missile slamming into your house, I'm sure. So. That'd be a scary morning. Uh, and next video, I guess some guys driving, trying to drive out of there and this is probably not the only time this has happened in the last 24 hours. So you got missiles dropping right next to, right next to cars, right next to people. So he has this close call coming out. Do we get that one? We got sound for that one? I don't know what that one sounds like. Pretty much just boom. In a bunch of shrapnel smack in the car. And some more bleep, bleep, bleep. F bomb. Though it doesn't start with F. All right. Well, so that's some of the sights and sounds of warfare happening in Ukraine. It's probably the least of it. Do we have a hospital up there getting shot? I think I left that one out. Or we already saw that one. Did I skip that one? I think I skipped that one. It was, yeah, number three. Yeah, show us that one. So this is allegedly a hospital getting, I mean, absolutely swish cheese. At one point, the camera pans, and you can see the big red cross like it's a hospital. I don't know. The funny thing is when I, I haven't looked at it closely, and I'm not saying, I don't automatically believe everything. But I don't know about that one. They said it's a hospital. Looks like a big warehouse. Could be a hospital. That Red Cross almost looks Photoshopped to me. Like it looks kind of weird, but I don't know. Just strange how you have no other markings and then this big Red Cross at the top of the building. So I don't know about that one. That one's kind of sketchy. Just, just, just at first glance. So, but this one, here's an interesting one. And by the way, thanks for all these Instagram accounts, credit to them. I didn't, I didn't say everybody's name. There's one secure the bag, uh, has a lots of good stuff. And then warholics, if you're on Instagram, secure the bag and the secure is a V instead of a U. Um, that person has good stuff on there. And then warholics, uh, they have, they have some, some good, uh, raw footage from, from over there. Uh, just so you can see what's going on, because it's hard to it's hard to find stuff uh, other than just regurgitated talking points and selected, you know, selected scenes and whatnot uh, in the mainstream media. But this one was interesting. I saw come across a captured soldier, Russian soldier, apparently in the city of Sumy. So go ahead and roll that one. Yeah. 
Hope you notice. Can you pause it? Uh, I think you see the guy has a rock in his hand. I don't know what what's about to happen to this Russian soldier. It doesn't look good. Um, now, interestingly, if you look at the hands of the individual that are on this person, they have a bunch of hand tattoos. Now, I know in American culture we just get tattoos and it's it's just no big deal, whatever. Uh, that's generally not the case in Russian culture. When you have tattoos, usually they mean something. And when you see hand tattoos in particular, that's not good. You're not, you're, usually you're not dealing with friendly people. A lot of times that's indication of mob, mafia, um, other things, depending on the tattoo. Uh, so, boy, this soldier might not be in for a good day. Not sure. That's just conjecture on my part. I'm just telling you, in Russian culture, uh, tattoos usually mean something. They're not just they're not just decoration like uh, like a, they are in a lot of cases here in American culture. But so listen to the Russian, <clears throat> the the lady, the lady saying, "Why are you here? Um, why did you come here?" Uh, and then the man asked him, the man holding the soldier asked him. Uh, what were you told uh, to come here for? Like, what, what was the mission? What was the reason you were given to come here? And he responds, Zabrat Lujay, to, to gather people. Now, you don't have full context, so it's hard to pin down for sure what he means by gather people. So, this, that zabrat is usually used when like you gather up your mail, gathering the mail, you, you, you know, go collect your parcels. Um, so hard to say what that means. I, I would, I would, you know, I may say round up people, uh, perhaps. Now, the way the lady takes it, actually both of them, the way they respond, they don't take it as something friendly, like I'm trying to gather people to help them, you know, to bring them to safety. So he says, Zabrat Lujie, and the lady says, the lady and the guy uh, say, peaceful people? You're going to Zabrat peaceful people? So it, it doesn't sound like the use of this word gather uh, has, a, has a friendly um, implication to it. So I don't know what that's all about, uh, but he was told he was sent to round up people, gather people, capture people, uh, whatever. And um, so the lady says, uh, why are you doing this? We, we don't want war in our country. And it's a bit muffled, but I, I can make out the beginning of what he's saying. And it sounds like he clearly says, we ourselves don't want, right? So I assume he's answering to what she said. We don't want war. We ourselves don't want war either. I can't make out what follows want. But his response was, we also don't want. Um, so that's, a, that's an interesting, uh, interesting dynamic there that whatever, uh, whatever this soldier was sent to do, uh, he apparently says, at least in that situation, I mean, you could say, what is he going to say? Um, but he says, we, he and the other soldiers also don't want to do whatever they were told to come and do so that that's 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 pretty interesting you again you can say he's under duress and uh you know he's saying what he 
what he thinks they want to hear or whatever. But nevertheless, that's what he said. I, I don't know. You take it for what it's worth and figure out what it means. You know, people were saying, oh, they're rounding up people like the Nazis because there's always going to be there's going to be that Nazi spin. Russia's Hitler. This is, you know, all that, which is interesting in, in Putin's address. He uses the same imagery, you know, of the leadership in Ukraine as being neo-Nazis and uh, he's fighting he's fighting the Nazis. Uh, by doing this. So this point, I, I want to, uh, well, let's go ahead and show apparently the latest. I don't know. Putin wants to send, there, there's reports now that Putin is ready to send a delegation uh, to Kiev to the leadership to negotiate. And I just saw, a, uh, I just saw an Instagram video of Zelensky with the prime minister and all the staff saying, we're here, we're here, we're here. He's here. Prime minister's here. I'm here. We're here. We're going to defend Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. Praise Ukraine. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so they're all there. And some are reporting, at least Sputnik is reporting that uh, Putin's ready to send a delegation for negotiations. Now, what does Putin want? What, what would he want to negotiate? What I want to do in this show, because what, what I noticed yesterday, I'm starting starting to dig, and, and, and even more so today, um, I started seeing the sound bites that, well, not sound bites, but, but uh, reporters and people saying Putin threatens U.S. and its allies with nuclear attack. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a brazen thing to say directly. And so I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear that. And so I pulled up, I pulled up the um, uh, actual Russian footage of Putin giving his press conference and listened in Russian, uh, and realized he didn't say that. Now he, you can interpret, he may have implied it. I don't know. You can infer from what he says um, that that's what he's talking about, and and that's probably a reasonable inference. Um, so there's that. But what I realized is that. He, there was so much more that he said in the speech and that, and that without at least his perspective or the Russian perspective of, uh, without examining that, then the average person really doesn't have a full picture of what's happening here. And so it's been interesting to see that the fullness of what Putin was saying is not fully reported, but it's just you know, the, just have the sound bites and cherry picking. And now, of course, all the all the American media is divided in Republican Democrats. So the entire conversation is our president is is more of a tough guy than your president. You know, so the Republicans, well, if Trump if Trump had been in office, uh, still in office, then Putin would have done this. Or while Trump was office, Putin didn't do this. Uh, it's all Biden's fault. Biden's not very tough. And then Democrats, oh, Biden's tough. Look at him putting these sanctions and. You know, and then so this back and forth and this political nonsense, which all of that may be have some truth to it. I don't know, but it's almost beside the point. It almost miss it. It, it, it really doesn't inform anybody. It doesn't help anybody understand what's going on. It, it's just more tribal political rhetoric that keeps us bound in this uh, two party delusion in our tribes so that we can be manipulated. So. What I, I, when I started listening to Putin's speech and started trying to translate for Chrisanne because she was going on Victory News, talk a little bit about this. Um, from the transcript that was done 
by the Kremlin. Ooh. So I, I got that. And then I listened to what Putin said to make sure that the transcript was accurate. And it is. It is reliable. I know it comes from the Kremlin and people are like, oh, well, obviously he's a traitor and a Russian bot and Russian sympathizer, whatever. No, I just would like, I think it's important to have first source information. So I wanted to know what, what did this guy say his motivation was? What is Putin saying? What is, what is he claiming is his reason for doing this? And informatively, does it match uh, what we're being told in the mainstream media? So it took him about 30 minutes to give this speech. It will not take me that long. Uh, I can read this a lot faster. I'm not going to read the very end, which is just a lot of platitudes and stuff. Uh, But I want you to have the English translation of Putin's address to to his nation uh, in regards to the invasion of Ukraine. So here is uh, President Putin. Uh, I believe on the 20, uh, 24th yesterday, as he addressed the nation regarding Ukraine. So he says, citizens of Russia, friends, I consider it necessary today to speak again about the tragic events in Donbass and the key aspects of ensuring the security of Russia. And by the way, I'm going to point out some things that uh, let us know where this might be going. I will begin with what I said in my address on February 21st, 2022. I spoke about our biggest concerns and worries and about the fundamental threats which irresponsible Western politicians created for Russia consistently, rudely, and unceremoniously from year to year. I'm referring to the eastward expansion of NATO, which is moving its military infrastructure ever closer to the Russian border. It is a fact that over the past 30 years, we have been patiently trying to come to an agreement with the leading NATO countries regarding the principles of equal and indivisible security in Europe. In response to our proposals, we invariably faced either cynical deception and lies or attempts to pressure and blackmail, while the North Atlantic Alliance continued to expand despite our protests and concerns. Its military machine is moving and, as I said, is approaching our very border. Why is this happening? Where did this insolent manner of talking down from the height of their exceptionalism, infallibility, and all permissiveness come from? What is the explanation for this contemptuous and disdainful attitude to our interest in absolutely legitimate demands? The answer is simple. Everything is clear and obvious. In the late 1980s, the Soviet Union grew weaker and subsequently broke apart. That experience should serve as a good lesson for us because it has shown us that the the paralysis of power and will is the first step towards complete degradation and oblivion. We lost confidence for only one moment, but it was enough to disrupt the balance of power in the world. As a result, the old treaties and agreements are no longer effective. Entreaties and requests do not help. Anything that does not suit the dominant state, the powers that be, is denounced as archaic, obsolete, and useless. At the same time, everything it regards as useful is presented as the ultimate truth and forced on others regardless of the cost, abusively, and by any means available. Those who refuse to comply are subjected to strong-arm tactics. What I'm saying now does not concern only Russia, and Russia is not the only country that is worried about this. This has to do with the entire system of international relations and sometimes even U.S. allies. The collapse of the Soviet Union led to a redivision of the world and the norms of international law that developed by that time, and the most important of them, the fundamental norms that were adopted following World War II and largely formalized its outcome. 
came in the way of those who declared themselves the winners of the Cold War. Of course, practice, international relations, and the rules regulating them had to take into account the changes that took place in the world and in the balance of power. However, this should have been done professionally, smoothly, patiently, and with due regard and respect for the interest of all states and one's own responsibility. Instead, we saw a state of euphoria created by the feeling of absolute superiority, kind of modern absolutism, coupled with the low cultural standards and arrogance of those who formulated and pushed through decisions that suited only themselves. The situation took a different turn. So I'm sharing with you Putin's speech, February 24th, of his reasoning for invading Ukraine. There are many examples of this, he continues. First, a bloody military operation was waged against Belgrade without the UN Security Council sanction, but with combat aircraft and missiles used in the heart of Europe. The bombing of peaceful cities and vital infrastructure went on for several weeks. I have to recall these facts because some Western colleagues prefer to forget them. And when we mention the event, they prefer to avoid speaking about international law, instead emphasizing the circumstances which they believe made it necessary. Then came the turn of Iraq, Libya, and Syria the illegal use of military power against Libya and the distortion of all UN Security Council decisions on Libya ruined the state, created a huge seat of international terrorism and pushed the country towards a humanitarian catastrophe into the vortex of a civil war, which has continued there for years. The tragedy which was created for hundreds of thousands and even millions of people, not only in Libya, but in the whole region has led to a large scale exodus from the Middle East and North Africa to Europe. A similar fate was also prepared for Syria, the combat operations conducted by the Western coalition in that country without the Syrian government's approval or UN Council's, UN Security Council sanction can only be defined as aggression and interference. But the example that stands apart from the above events is of course, the invasion of Iraq without any legal grounds. They use the pretext of allegedly reliable information available in the United States about the presence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. To prove that allegation, the U.S. Secretary of State held up a vial with white powder publicly for the whole world to see, assuring the international community that this, that this was a chemical warfare agent created in Iraq. It later turned out that all of this was a fake and a sham, and that Iraq did not have any chemical weapons. Incredible, incredible and shocking, but true. We witnessed lies made at the highest state level and voiced from the high U.N. rostrum. As a result, we see a tremendous loss in human life, damage, destruction, and a colossal upsurge of terrorism. Overall, it appears that nearly everywhere in many regions of the world where the United States brought its law and order, this created bloody, non-healing wounds and the curse of international terrorism and extremism. I have only mentioned the most glaring, but far from only the only examples of disregard for international law. This array includes promises not to expand NATO eastwards, even by one inch. To reiterate, they have deceived us, or to put it simply, they have played us. Surely one often hears that politics is a dirty business. It could be, but it shouldn't be as dirty as it is now, not to such an extent. This type of con artist behavior is contrary not only to the principles of international relations, but also, and above all, to the generally accepted norms of morality and ethics. Where is justice and truth here? Just lies and hypocrisies all around. Incidentally, US politicians, political science, scientists, and journalists write and say that a veritable, veritable empire of lies has been created inside the United States in recent years. It's hard to disagree with this. It really is so. But one should not be modest about it. The United States is still a great country and a system forming power. All its satellites not only humbly and obediently say yes 
to and parrot it at the slightest pretext, but also imitate its behavior and enthusiastically accept the rules it's offering them. Therefore, one can say with good reason and confidence that the whole so-called Western bloc formed by the United States in its own image and likeness is in its entirety, the very same empire of lies. Now, this is interesting. As for our country, after the disintegration of the USSR, given the entire unprecedented openness of the new modern Russia, its readiness to work honestly with the United States and other Western partners, and its practically unilateral disarmament, they immediately tried to put the final squeeze on us, finish us off, and utterly destroy us. This is how it was in the 1990s and the early 2000s, when the so-called collective West was actively supporting separatism and gangs of mercenaries in Southern Russia. What victims, what losses we had to sustain and what trials we had to go through at that time before we broke the back of international terrorism in the Caucasus. We remember this and we'll never forget. Properly speaking, the attempts to use us in their own interests never ceased until quite recently. They sought to destroy our traditional values and force us, force on us their false values that would erode us, our people from within, the attitudes they have been aggressively imposing on their countries, attitudes that are directly leading to the degradation and degeneracy because they are contrary to human nature. This is not going to happen. No one has ever succeeded in doing this, nor will they succeed now. Despite all that, in December 2021, we made yet another attempt to reach agreement with the United States and its allies on the principles of European security and NATO's non-expansion. Our efforts were in vain. The United States has not changed its position. It does not believe it necessary to agree with Russia on a matter that is critical for us. The United States is pursuing its own objectives while neglecting our interests. Of course, this situation begs the question, what next? What are we to expect? If history is any guide, we know that in 1940 and early 1941, the Soviet Union went to great lengths to prevent war or at least delay its outbreak. To this end, the USSR sought not to provoke the potential aggressor until the very end by refraining or postponing the most urgent and obvious preparations it had to make to defend itself from an imminent attack. When it finally acted, it was too late. As a result, the country was not prepared to counter the invasion by Nazi Germany, which attacked our motherland on June 22, 1941, without declaring war. The country stopped the enemy and went on to defeat it, but this came at a tremendous cost. The attempt to appease the aggressor ahead of the Great Patriotic War proved to be a mistake, which came at a high cost for our people. In the first months after the hostilities broke out, we lost vast territories of strategic importance, as well as millions of lives. We will not make this mistake the second time. We have no right to do so. Those who aspire to global dominance have publicly designated Russia as their enemy. They did so with impunity. Make no mistake, they had no reason to act this way. It is true that they have considerable financial, scientific, technological, and military capabilities. We are aware of this and have an objective view of the economic threats we've been hearing, just as, our, just as we do our ability to counter this brash and never-ending blackmail. Let me reiterate that we have no illusions in this regard and are extremely realistic in our assessments. As for military affairs, even after the dissolution of the USSR and losing a considerable part of its capabilities, Today's Russia remains one of the most powerful nuclear states. Moreover, it has a certain advantage in several cutting edge weapons. In this context, there should be no doubt for anyone that any potential aggressor will face defeat and ominous consequences should it directly attack our country. At the same time, technology, including in the defense sector, is changing rapidly. One day there's one leader and tomorrow another. 
But a military presence in territories bordering on Russia, if we permit it to go ahead, will stay for decades to come or maybe forever, creating an ever-mounting and totally unacceptable threat for Russia. Even now, with NATO's eastward expansion, the situation for Russia has been becoming worse and more dangerous by the year. Moreover, these past days, NATO leadership has been blunt in its statements that they need to accelerate and step up efforts to bring the alliance's infrastructure closer to Russia's borders. In other words, they have been hardening their positions. We cannot stay idle and passively observe these developments. This would be an absolutely irresponsible thing for us to do. Any further expansion of the North Atlantic Alliance's infrastructure or the ongoing efforts to gain a military foothold of the Ukrainian territory are unacceptable for us. Of course, the question is not about NATO itself. It merely serves as a tool of U.S. foreign policy. The problem is that in territories adjacent to Russia, which I have to note is our historical land, a hostile anti-Russia is taking shape, fully controlled from the outside. It is doing everything to attract NATO armed forces and obtain cutting-edge weapons. For the United States and its allies, it is a policy of containing Russia with obvious geopolitical dividends. For our country, it is a matter of life and death, a matter of historical future as a nation. This is not an exaggeration. This is a fact. It is not only a very real threat to our interests, but to the very existence of our state and to its sovereignty. It is the red line, which we have spoken about on numerous occasions. They have crossed it. This brings me to the situation in Donbass. We can see that the forces that staged the coup in Ukraine in 2014 have seized power, are keeping it with the help of ornamental election procedures, and have abandoned the path of peaceful conflict settlement. For eight years, for eight endless years, we have been doing everything possible to settle the situation by peaceful political means. Everything was in vain. As I said in my previous address, you cannot look without compassion at what is happening there. It became impossible to tolerate. We had to stop that atrocity, that genocide of the millions of people who live there and who pin their hopes on Russia, on all of us. It is their aspirations, the feeling and pain of these people that were the main motivating force behind our decision to recognize the independence of the Donbass People's Republics. I would like to additionally emphasize the following. Focused on their own goals, leading NATO countries are supporting the far-right nationalists and neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Those who will never forgive the people of Crimea and Sevastopol for freely making a choice to reunite with Russia. They will undoubtedly try to bring war in Crimea, just as they have done in Donbass, to kill innocent people just as members of the punitive units of Ukrainian nationalists and Hitler's accomplices during the Great Patriotic War. They've also openly laid claim to several other Russian regions. If we look at the, con look at the sequence of events in the incoming reports, the showdown between Russia and these forces cannot be avoided. It is only a matter of time. They're getting ready and waiting for the right moment. Moreover, they went as far as to aspire to nuclear weapons. We will not let this happen. I've already said that Russia accepted the new geopolitical reality after the dissolution of the USSR. We have been treating all new post-Soviet states with respect and will continue to act this way. We respect and will respect the sovereignty and as proven by the assistance provided to Kazakhstan. However, Russia cannot feel safe, develop and exist while facing a permanent threat from the territory of today's Ukraine. Let me remind you that in 2000 and 2005, we used our military to push back against terrorists in the Caucasus and stood up for the integrity of our state. We preserved Russia. In 2014, we supported the people of Crimea and Sevastopol. 2015, we used our armed forces to create a reliable shield that prevented terrorists from Syria from penetrating Russia. This was a matter of defending ourselves. We had no other, other choice. The same is happening today. They did not leave us any other option for defending Russia and our people other than the one we are forced to use today. In these circumstances, 
we have to take bold and immediate action. The People's Republic of Donbass have asked uh, Russia for help in this context in accordance with Article 51 of the UN Charter. I've made the decision to carry out a special military operation. The purpose of this operation is to protect people who for eight years now have been facing humiliation and genocide perpetrated by the Kiev regime. To this end, we will seek to demilitarize and denazify Ukraine, as well as bring to trial those who perpetrated numerous bloody crimes against civilians, including against citizens of the Russian Federation. It is not our plan to occupy the Ukrainian territory. We do not intend to impose anything on anyone by force. At the same time, we have been hearing an increasing number of statements coming from the West that there is no need anymore to abide by the documents setting, out, setting forth the outcomes of World War II as assigned by the totalitarian Soviet regime. How can we respond to that? The outcomes of World War II and the sacrifices of our people had to make to defeat Nazism are sacred. This does not contradict the high values of human rights and freedoms in the reality that emerged over the post-war decades. This does not mean that nations cannot enjoy the right to self-determination, which is enshrined in Article 1 of the UN Charter. Let me remind you that people living in territories which are part of today's Ukraine were not asked how they want to build their lives when the USSR was created or after World War II. Freedom guides our policy, freedom to choose independently our future and the future of our children. We believe that all peoples living in today's Ukraine, anyone who wants to do this, must be able to enjoy this right to make a free choice. In this context, I would like to address the citizens of Ukraine. 2014, Russia was obliged to protect the people of Crimea, Sevastopol, from those who you yourself call Nats. The people of Crimea and Sevastopol made their choice in favor of being with their historic homeland, Russia, and we supported their choice. As I said, we could not act otherwise. The current events have nothing to do with the desire to infringe on the interests of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. They are connected with defending Russia from those who have taken Ukraine hostage and are trying to use it against our country and our people. I reiterate, we are acting to defend ourselves from the threats created for us and from a worse peril than what is happening now. I'm asking you, however hard this may be, to understand this and work together with us as, to turn this tragic page as soon as possible and move forward together without allowing anyone to interfere in our affairs and our relations, but developing them independently so as to create favorable conditions for overcoming all these problems and to strengthen us from within as a single whole, despite the existence of state borders. I believe in this, in our common future. Uh, then he addresses the Ukrainian military. Uh, you took an oath to allegiance uh, to the Ukrainian people, not to the coup. Um, if you basically lay down your arms and you can go back to your families peacefully. Uh, citizens of Russia, rah, rah, Russia, support us, blah, blah, patriotism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that I wanted to share with you the English translation of Russia's, uh, Russia's president, Putin, uh, his address on the invasion of Ukraine. So I, I just give that as for educational purposes. This is not uh, supporting Putin or the invasion or anything like that. Just the fact that uh, it looked like they were blocking the Kremlin's website. I can't hardly get get the stuff fine now the words that putin has used the stuff that he said and, and how it's being reported over there so it makes it a challenge to kind of analyze what's in that so just just to so that you'll be informed those people who watch the show you'll be informed so you basically have heard um the reason putin gives so to recap from putin's point of view the nato encroachment over the past 
uh, 30 years as, as NATO made the treaty and said it wouldn't move eastward uh, and then has progressively moved to Russia's borders. Ukraine is the only geography left uh, where that NATO is not on Russia's border. And uh, so he says this, is, this creates an um, untenable security situation uh, for Russia. Um, then obviously he ties all of this with the U.S., that NATO is simply a tool of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's probably higher people in charge of both of the entities, the U.S. and NATO, as a tool of their foreign policy. But uh, let's not quibble over details. Uh, he goes through these examples of, of the havoc wrought by U.S. intervention in places in his perspective. Uh, he cites the example of, of uh, the, the famous example of the uh, whatever, yellow cake, nuclear weapons of mass destruction charade that happened during the Bush administration, which uh, is a matter of historical record. And the one thing I thought was, was interesting how uh, he said after the fall of, of the wall, so the wall fell, the fall of the Soviet Union, and basically it, his view is that the Western alliance, the globalist cabal, if you will, saw Russia, uh, d did not really welcome them, operate professionally and patiently to bring them into the free world, but basically saw Russia as the last vestige of the Soviet Union that had to be snuffed out. And so basically Putin alleges that for the last 30 years, that's been the strategy and that's been the, you know, the constant move to Russia to, to as he says, squeeze on us, finish us off and utterly destroy us. Um, I, I found this interesting. So here, here in this paragraph, this seems to be a reference to the Trump administration. He says, properly speaking, the attempts to use us in their own interest never ceased until quite recently. So basically, he's saying this move, this squeeze of the Western power, uh, the war machine, the NATO alliance, all of that of, of targeting Russia, making Russia enemy number one, and finally finishing off the last vestiges of the Soviet Union. Um, he, apparently, he says, that stopped for a brief time recently. I can only... Uh, I, I think we can only interpret that as a reference to the Trump administration. If you look back uh, where it appeared that, that Trump had a willingness to work uh, with Russia and openness uh, to bring them into the free world and cooperate with the West of the rest of uh, you know Western society. And of course, as you can see, I have contended that's the number one reason why Trump was targeted, because this runs counter to 30 years of progress. Uh, this, this, this interloper, Donald Trump's going to throw it all away by making buddy-buddy uh, with, with the evil Russia. And so then you see every, every, everything with Trump then was, was about Russia. He's, oh, he's a Russian plant, he, which, which you'll hear the same stuff, just this, just this episode, the fact of me reading Putin's speech in this time, you know, JC and these guys are traitors and Russian bots and blah, blah, blah. So you'll, you'll get that. But so Trump got that just for uh, reaching out at all or uh, trying to work with, with Putin. Oh, he's a Manchurian candidate. 
he's an agent for the KGB, Donald Trump, he's a Russian plant, uh, he's on Putin's payroll. And so then simultaneously, it was an attack on Donald Trump and also the continual uh, demonization of Putin and Russia. And, and Putin mentions this, he references this uh, right after this statement. He says, those who aspire to global dominance have publicly designated Russia as their enemy. I have to say, and this is the thing, and obviously you saw the videos from the beginning. There's nothing good about Putin invading Russia. There, you know, people dying, innocent people killed. I imagine thousand, thousand plus people were killed in the first couple of hours. Um, I mean, reports of hundreds of soldiers at a time on either side being killed, plane shot down, ghost of Kiev, knocked down six planes himself. Um, so nothing good ab about that. But the problem I have is there are other individuals who are culpable in this scenario aside from Vladimir Putin. Uh, and here's the thing. One of those entities who is culpable in this, I believe, is the United States media, the American media. Putin is saying these, they've openly declared Russia the enemy. So, I mean, this, however long now it's been, three years, four years of constant demonization of Putin and Russia and all that. This has consequences. So the media itself, the American media itself, you say what you want to about Putin, but they, like he's, okay, he's crazy and he's doing this, he's paranoid, he's attacking Ukraine. Guess what? The media had a role in driving him to this action. Um, he says that himself. And I understand a lot of this stuff, you know, he, he wants to spin and appeal to various things for his reason. But there's utter truth in this, where that, you can't continue this absolute insane, out of control targeting of a guy like this nonstop, 24 seven around the clock for at least four years we've seen, all to take down a president that you didn't like. And I believe because of the cabal behind the scenes, because uh, you were poking their plans, because he was poking their plans for Russia. Now, uh, I'm gonna get to where I think Putin is going. But I want to mention this because it's a fascinating thing to see now. NATO spent these last several years, eight years plus, uh, courting Ukraine and Ukraine courting NATO to be a member. Ukraine's not a NATO member. And now what you see coming out of uh, NATO command, their spokesman, their generals going out and saying, oh, we're moving all of our, our defensive network up to the borders of NATO nations or whatever, but it's defensive. We have no intention of fighting Ukraine. So all are fighting Russia in Ukraine. So all of this stuff of courting uh, Ukraine and, and, and all the, the enticements and overtures and uh, armaments that the American taxpayers spent billions upon uh, amount to nothing because now they're just going to stand back and do nothing for Ukraine. So, so I think it's fascinating. And here's, I think, one of the reasons not 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 the reason but a contributing factor i think this is my opinion they are scared of putin's capabilities um there was much and i and i followed this there was not a lot of reporting on it because i don't think they like to report this stuff to show you know american military weakness and that sort of thing but i remember reading articles from uh defense sources 
who are, who are incredibly concerned about these hypersonic missile capabilities that Putin talked about. And they said, this was not a bluff. This is real. They do have uh, significant cutting edge capabilities that he referred to. I remember when this first happened and it freaked, it freaked uh, NATO out and America out, American military. And uh, I think they're seriously concerned about this. They don't fully know what the capabilities are, uh, but they know, they know it's significant and they know in Vladimir Putin, the guy's not just talking to hear himself talk. When he makes a threat and says he's going to use this and he's going to smack you in a way you've never seen before, um, he means it. So I think they're seriously concerned. They're serious concern about that. So you'll watch, you watch NATO just stand on the sidelines, do nothing after all their bluster. And you remember Biden comes in, Putin's going to know he's a bully and you know, there's a new sheriff in town. It'll be different when I'm in office. I promise you, he won't be able to push us around and do whatever. And then Biden's not going to do anything. And Putin knows that. And I think it's not just Biden. This is not a Biden versus Trump thing. I think it's not just Biden. Uh, it seems to me it's, it's all of NATO. They're seriously concerned about Russian capabilities and um, Russia's willingness to use those capabilities. Now, now, where where are we headed? Oh, I, I, I don't know. It's probably beside the point to go on about uh, Hunter Biden's hidden travels for eight years, his secret travels for eight years that nobody seems to have any records of, and the significant ties to Biden in the Ukraine. You know, I believe as a puppet and a go-between uh, for the cabal to carry out their mission to basically create a new, I mean, if you allow Putin to go up and recapture Ukraine, then you essentially set up another Berlin Wall type scenario, a new Cold War, which is a big moneymaker for the cabal. I think that's ultimately what, what, what's happening here. Um, but let me, let me finish with this. It seems clear to me, again, my take, my analysis, uh, based on what Putin is saying here, that he wants to bring, he wants to reunite uh, Russia and Ukraine. He wants re Ukraine reunited with Russia. Why, why do I say that? Well, he makes, in, in, in the previous speech, he went into more detail here, but he talks about how Ukraine came to be and it's because of the Soviet Union, part of the Soviet Union and created that. And, and he, even in this particular speech, he mentions several times uh, you know, he says, I want to point out this is actually part of Russia. This is our historic land. So uh, Ukraine is historically part of Russia itself from Putin's perspective. So he says this in the speech. Then he makes reference to Sevastopol, uh, Crimea, which everybody knows about the annexation of Crimea. And there was this scenario set up where the people of Crimea and Sevastopol allegedly voted to rejoin Russia. So this is what uh, Putin references, oh, that we were just defending people, we were defending Russians uh, from neo-Nazis and brutal people, and then at the end of the day, they voted to join us. Um, Donbass area, Donetsk, Luhansk, um, Putin basically says, you know, same situation in the Donbass region, they were being brutalized by evil people, uh, and they're mostly, you know, Russian-leaning folks who, who want who want 
you know, to be part of Russia. In the very least, they want their independence to, you know, be left alone and not brutalized and not the genocide happen. And so, you know, we, we, Putin says, the Russians recognize uh, their independence. And then we're just here to help them. That's what we're here for. And then he addresses the Ukrainian people in this speech um, that not only did these other parts of Ukraine join us and that we're there just to protect those folks. Uh, he says, our fight is not with the Ukrainian people. Our fight is with the people who have taken you hostage. So he's appealing to the Ukrainian people and saying, our beef is with the government. And you know, he, he basically says, the government's taken over in a coup and these people have taken your country hostage and they're using it for evil intent. We just want to free you from them. And he says, what we want besides those people, those people who are in charge want to bring in this foreign influence and dictate your choices to you according to the script of the foreign Western powers. We want to just, we just want to make them go away and allow you to make your own decisions. And then there seems to be very strong uh, hints that what Putin wants their decision to be is just like the other places he mentioned, join Russia, uh, vote to join back, uh, join, join with us again. And he says here, um, we want to create favorable conditions for overcoming all these problems and strengthen and to strengthen us from within as a single whole, despite the existence of state borders. I believe in this, our common future. So it is, it seems clear to me that in the very least, now some are talking about Putin wants to reconstitute the entire Soviet Union. Uh, that may very well be, um, and this may be the first step. Now, I don't know if he, if he intends to do all that through military conquest, um, but it, it seems to me if that's the case. Now, it seems very clear he wants the reunification of Ukraine with Russia. And so I think we're going to see at some point some alleged vote where the Ukrainian people voted to become part of Russia, or they're going to, as he's sending these delegation, they're going to offer you know, offer some sort of um, join with us, reunification, or some sort of alliance, some sort of block uh, combining the interest of the two, two nations. And then, uh, you know, perhaps they'll try to use that as an example or influence and appeal to more of um, the, the surrounding states, former Soviet republics. I mean, you're, you're already going to have, if, if that's the case, then Belarus at least a large portion of that is going to join immediately. Uh, probably Kazakhstan join immediately. I mean, you already have other former republics that are going to say, yeah, yeah, we'll do with that. You remember when the, when the Soviet Union broke up and it was, uh, you know, immediately afterwards, you have the, what they call the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States. So you had with Russia at the center and you already had this sort of loose union after the Soviet Union, you had this loose union, Commonwealth of Independent States, uh, which that eventually, uh, dissolved as well. But I think it's very likely that you can see push P Putin uh, pushing in that same direction. Now, obviously, more of his concern are the Western, uh, Western states to push back NATO, to push back NATO's presence. And so, uh, I don't know, it seems like you're, we're going back to, you know, 
NATO versus the Eastern Bloc, right? The West versus the Eastern Bloc countries. So it looks like that's the direction it, it, it's headed. I, I think it seems to me just based on this speech and the previous one I didn't share, but the previous one in this speech, I feel pretty confident saying in the very least, uh, Putin is looking to reunify Ukraine with Russia, either directly or through some uh, strong mutual alliance um, after he's basically done away with the government that's there now, forced them to resign, starved them out. I think they'll probably blockade Kiev if this continues. They've been fairly strategic in their targeting. However, as I said, you get hundreds of thousands of troops in the battlefield and it's not gonna look very selective when they start causing mayhem everywhere and just people start fighting one another. But anyway, I uh, wanted to share that with you guys, give you that piece of information so you're educated and informed. Again, times like these, if you try to be objective and you know present both sides so people can figure out what's going on, you're gonna be labeled a traitor, you know, you, you're a Russian bot and all this sort of stuff. So this is where we are now. There's no question in my mind, this is what's gonna be coming because there's nothing bipartisan as much as war. Democrats love war, Republicans love war. So they'll unite against this. And as I said, the Democrat Republican battle is just, you know, who's president is the toughest guy, uh, who, who can do war better than the other, that sort of thing. That's gonna be the talk. CPAC I think is going on now. Um, it's highly likely you're going to see over and over again, we need to put Putin in his place. That, that's going to be the rhetoric. Um, you know, a lot of posturing. I, I don't know how informative or helpful or productive uh, any of the conversations are going to be from most of the members of the ruling parties uh, and, and their, their confabs going on. Uh, I don't think very much is going to be productive. But certainly from this particular administration with, with this absolute listless buffoon that's in the White House. Um, I don't expect much progress on that at all. Um, can we end, could we end up in World War III? Yeah, somebody could do something stupid and this could get a whole lot worse. Um, it could end very quickly. Uh, they hit these strategic points, although I know Ukrainian forces took back an airport, go back and forth. Um, they may get to the point where they feel like They've got everything, Russia's got everything locked down. Uh, nobody's coming to help. And Ukraine begins to ne negotiate and it could be over very soon, who knows? Or they decide we don't like this, we're gonna fight and things get nastier. Uh, crazy videos come out to incite people and just ratchet up the fighting and then somebody else jumps in, who knows? And I'll end, I'll end with this point right here. So setting all that aside or not setting it aside, uh, I don't think all of that really is the biggest threat. To be honest with you, I think the biggest threat at this moment because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and all that's going on there is in fact China moving on Taiwan. I fully expect very soon within days, weeks at the most, um, particularly if this continues, I would fully expect China to make a move against Taiwan. I think that's the biggest biggest threat and biggest deal coming out of all this is China to use this for cover. Then from there, you don't know what's gonna happen. Kim Jong-un decides 
you know, he wants to be in on the party and he does something insane. Um, who knows? Then, some, then, you know, you got South Korea retaliates. Uh, you know, Ch China does its thing. Great Britain moves. NATO moves in on that. I mean, it could certainly spiral out of control very quickly. At the end of the day, you know, the warmongers and weapons makers are popping champagne and smoking cigars. We know that. But it's the innocent blood of American boys and girls uh, that are going to purchase what they're after. And that's the sick part about it. So pray for Ukraine, pray for Russia, pray for all involved, pray for peace. And uh, pray for manipulating forces to mind their own business, really, at the end of the day. I think that would go a long way. So God bless you guys. See you next time. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights. We have a power. And we've raised a spoiled brat representative government that needs to be taken to the woodshed. Are you satisfied with the government that owns you? There are churches who refuse to allow us to use their facilities to teach. Unspoken or even sometimes spoken rule that religion and politics don't mix. You wouldn't dare speak out against the government or somehow resist. Christians have to be involved in politics. God commands it. Every turn of event through history hinged one person will stand up upon a single person and then everybody else will stand a gym member surrounded by a crowd of supporters was placed in handcuffs a tampa bay pastor has been arrested sentenced to a week in she jail also and tore up a cease and desist letter we have a posterity waiting for us to say we will not comply so you will be free We have a chance.